Welcome to Farcast. Now here's your host, Michael Farr. And welcome to the Farcast. I am Michael Farr, and we are broadcasting, recording, doing whatever it is we do when we are doing Farcasting here in the lovely city of Washington, D.C., where it's managed not to rain all day, even though I brought my umbrella with me. Markets have been doing just fine in a sideways trade called for us all by Kenny Polcari when he was last on on the 21st of August. Now, here we are, mid-September, and Kenny was right on the numbers. So we're going to get to Kenny in our first segment. Have a great forecast for you this evening. Our uh, senior political analyst, the great Dan Mahaffey, will be with us this evening. Uh, Dan is going to be with us. We're going to be talking uh, the upcoming election. We're going to be talking Bob Woodward's book, Anonymous uh, letters to the New York Times, uh, and, and a strong economy, and yet a not a good approval rating for a president. We're going to find out what's going on in Washington. And then finally, Tom Heath from the Washington Post is going to fit us in before he interviews Ray Dalio. Maybe we'll get him back next week to tell us what Ray said to him tonight. Remember that on the forecast, we believe that money is hard to make. We believe that old-fashioned research, hard work, discipline, and patience are the keys to successful investing. And, above all, we believe that emotion is the foe of the long-term investor, so if you're feeling ebullient or scared, stop. Take a walk around the block, go talk to a dial a friend, you know, call Regis Philbin at home, check with your financial advisor, something, but don't make a decision based on the fact that you're feeling fabulous or fearful. Okay, that's far as best advice to you. You have to be really dispassionate when you come to investing. Now, uh, the antithesis of being dispassionate, uh, for the antithesis of dispassion, we go to the floor of the New York Stock Exchange to my very dear friend, Kenny Polkari. Now, you know that uh, Kenny uh, is, is, the, uh, is a managing director of O'Neill Securities. He's head of floor operations. He has been on the New York St- Stock Exchange since God was in short pants, uh, he is devilishly handsome. He is articulate, ebullient, energetic, and much older than I am. Hey, Kenny, welcome back to the Farcast. <laughs> it's always a pleasure. I love doing this with you. How are you? I'm wonderful, pal. I'm doing just. I'm. Ju- I'm really. I'm really great. I've been doing a little bit of traveling. I was. Uh, I was in Montana. Uh, I saw. With with a little bit of business, a little bit of shooting with a. Uh, uh, somebody I hope will be a will be a client, and then at the end of this month, I am heading to India. India. Uh, Good for you. Yeah. On vacation? No, not client? really. Well, I have a friend. I have a very dear friend who uh, was explaining to me, somewhat dejectedly, that he had to take his mother's ashes to India as the oldest son for the ceremony of the Ganges, and he had to go by himself. And he said, "It's going to be a really lonely trip." And I said, well, that's, that's just stupid. You can't, you can't let a friend of yours go halfway around the world, right? I right. mean, to have some sort of funeral ceremony alone for their mother. So I said, well, I'm going to go. Well, now he's kind of turning it into a real trip. So I'll report back from India 
uh, when I get back in early October. But that's it's 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 going to be a big deal, right? I mean, India. It's a long. Good, how kind of great long, is that? Good for you. Yeah. Well, you could you could you know you I wouldn't send my dog to India to. I mean, I mean it's just awful. You can't do that. So, Kenny, tell us what's going on. Markets have been holding up okay. Dow had an okay day. Nasdaq did not. Apple didn't look very good today. You said you would be satisfied if markets went sideways, kind of from mid-August through mid-September. You got your wish. You happy? That's what. The, yeah. Listen, I, I I think that's exactly what they've done. And you know, in the end, the Nasdaq did recoup some of the major losses it had today. I mean, at one point early in the day, we were down. The Nasdaq was down almost. 80 points. Yeah, what was up with that? What, what, what did that? What was taking it down? Well, listen, I think, listen, I think it's the same number of conversations we're having, right? I think there's, there's uh, uncertainty around trade. There's uncertainty around whether it's China, whether it's Europe, whether it's, uh, you know, technology having advanced so far and done so well. Look, NASDAQ's up almost 18% year to date. And so if people, once again, we have this conversation. If people are really kind of concerned about uh, trade and they're concerned about where this market's going, and look, they're looking at some of these European markets and Asian markets, which, by the way, and I put it in my notes this morning, are not performing nearly as well as as uh, as uh, U.S. stocks, right? I mean, the right, Hong right. Kong's in a bear market now, right? Yep. And so if you've got people that are starting to be concerned that maybe it's going to flow over here, they're going to take money, just like we discuss all the time, out of the high flies, out of some of the names that have performed really well, some of the names that have really um, made them a lot of money this year. And it's just more caution. It's not people going, oh, my God, oh, my God, i got to get out. It's people being cautious in that, uh, and that they're trying to reallocate. But in the end... Today, we got more headlines saying that, you know, Trump and China, they're trying to reschedule more talks and they want to clear this up. They don't want to drag this out. And so once they did that, you saw the market kind of uh, stabilize, certainly the Nasdaq names, because they were the ones getting hit the most. The broader S&P and Dow were not under the same type of pressure today. And so, therefore, all the action was really in Nasdaq. But I would... uh, I would venture to say that you're going to continue to see this in this churning action between, say, 2860 on the S&P and 2900 is going to be a place where the market's going to find some stability and churn until we get a little bit more clarity. So I got a, so I got a couple of questions for you here. So I got a couple. So look, I, I need to know what you're going to tell our listeners markets are going to do between now and December. But I also want to know, because you and I haven't <laughs> talked about China too much. Do you, do you, is China, is, are those markets, is their economy kind of beginning to look a little bit fragile? Because, I mean, that's well, my I, sense. Am I wrong? Well, no, you're not wrong. That seems to be the conversation that a lot of both European and some of the Asian markets are getting a little bit soft, which is causing some caution. Um, and listen, it makes perfect sense. If they're going to get soft, people are going to get cautious, especially considering if, if, if trade is still unsettled. And then ultimately, then that 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 negativity, that kind of weakness, you would suspect it would start to settle into the U.S. markets. I mean, you can only outperform every other market in the world before it catches up with you, right? At some point, and so therefore, no, you're right. Asian markets and even some of the European markets. Look, some of the European macro data that came out today was weaker than expected. Right, the right. EU industrial production number was weaker than expected, and all that really means is it's going to set up for a weaker third quarter than what investors were. But expecting. the Chi- you know the Chinese have also been organizing purchases of of their own stock, right? Of their stocks. I mean, they have they kind yep. of have this collusion. I don't want to. I don't know collaboration. I mean, they instruct various. Entities close to the state. I don't know right. how you say that. I mean, we all know what's going on, and so they're right. in there buying, and they're and they're kind of propping up some of the Chinese stocks, and 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 Chinese stocks have recovered from something of a pretty good sell-off, and they're kind of jousting with us a little bit, like they really don't care playing tough. But it looks to me like their Achilles heel might be showing. 
Right, and they do care. And listen, as much as they want to say they don't care, both sides care. Listen, I don't, I, I don't believe that Trump doesn't care either, or the U.S. doesn't care. They both care. Both sides want to. Both sides do want to uh, settle this problem, but they want it to be fair and equitable, right? And so, I, the truth is, I think we're going to get there. I think we are going to solve this problem. Listen, it may take it may take a little while longer, or longer than maybe what the market's expected. But I don't think there's going to be this disaster. And I think. Um, uh, but you're right. I think that you have to be cautious and you have to be aware of what's happening in some of the other markets. And the, some of the Asian markets appear to be just slowing a little bit. And so you act appropriately. So what should Fred and Ethel be doing with their money and their investments for the end of the year? Are they going to be higher or lower? Are we going sideways? Are we OK? I mean, what's the deal, do you think, for markets between now and December 31st? So I think the market will end the year just slightly higher from where we are now. Slightly higher. Slightly higher higher. than where we are now. I think we're going to churn until we start with earnings season, which starts in three weeks. And we're going to get, by all accounts, another blowout earnings season, right? Analysts and expectations are for 20% earnings growth year over year on top of the, the quarter we just had, which was a blowout quarter. And I think forward guidance in the U.S. is going to continue to be strong, and that's going to help the market move higher into, the, into year end. I think between now and earnings season, we churn, so that's another three weeks. And then after that, I think you'll start to see the market uh, push higher. Okay. So if there's one message here for investors, it sounds like from Kenny Polcari, it's keep your powder dry and stay the course. Is that what Kenny's saying? Yeah, I think I think you absolutely stay the course. I think and you say it right in your opening remarks, right? You should never make an emotional decision. Uh, and if you've got a good plan and you've got a good advisor and someone that understands the markets and that you can talk to, I think you stay the course. And, you you know, if you've got some extra power to keep it on the side and as the market churns a little bit and backs off, you put that money to work. But I don't think by any stretch uh, that you that there's any reason to panic at all. All right. All right. So, KP, here we go. Uh, I've got uh, the great Tom Heath coming on from The Washington Post, uh, the huh? personal investment. You know, the great Tom Heath has just been he's been around forever. He gets really pissed, by the way, when I say he's been around forever and he can hear me. So I'm going to say it a lot. We'll find out if he listens to the show later. Uh, Tom, you have been around forever, but everybody knows it. So uh, uh, so, Kenny, we're going to be talking about uh, 10 years ago. Uh, and the financial crisis um, and, uh-huh. the, and the fall of Lehman and all of those things. Give me a couple of your strongest memories uh, that really had your full attention and lessons learned uh, before we get to Heath. And I got about a minute left. Oh, wow. Dude, we could talk about this the whole the whole show. Because some of those memories are so we might uh, because you know so he sometimes though. isn't that good so we could <laughs> but you know it started, it started in March of uh, when when Bear Stearns blew up I mean that was kind of the first real shock to the system when yeah. when you know they talk about it, talk about it and then all of a sudden the news hit the tape that Bear Stearns sold out to J P Morgan for two dollars a share I'll never forget the look in the trading room and the conversations with clients and people just dumbfounded right. that here we were Bear Stearns this company had been around for for years and years and years, and this is what happened. And as we moved through the summer, and then the same conversation started with Lehman and the back and forth, and was Paulson going to let it go? He couldn't let it go. How could he let it go? Would they Lehman save Lehman? So intertwined into the global economy and, uh, and the speculation back and forth. And when Lehman went belly up that September, um, I'll never forget once again, you know, we're sitting in the trading room on the floor of the stock exchange. People's faces were just 
you know, in almost in disbelief because Lehman was so much more interconnected in terms of the global economy is that is that everything froze. And, you, you know, you saw that. We all saw that. Well, right? we saw. How, and do you remember the people? I mean, you remember. And I knew some of those people on TV who came streaming out the doors at Lehman, like yes. with their cardboard boxes in their hands. Their, yeah. You know, I mean, yes. it was an Crying awful, awful moment. Couldn't. It was awful, awful, awful. And so, it was awful for a long time. It wasn't just that one day. Ten years later, we survived pretty well, huh? Ten years later, we did survive. Listen, it was ugly, as everyone knows. It got really ugly there for a while. And, and, uh, and it really felt on, on, on certain days that the global financial system was really on the, on the verge of an abyss, right? If that everyone Look, I think it banks, was. I mean, you know, I think well, we, were, I, we, were, we, we could have had runs on banks. We really could have. Well, we weren't no far doubt. from that at all. No, no, we weren't, and that's really the lesson, right? That, that we were closer than a lot of people than a, than a lot, lot of people, people even realized. Yeah, and that if it wasn't for the leadership at the central banks around the world, and and uh, you know leaders around the world really, really making what what at the time were very, very, very difficult decisions, but they were decisions that had to be made to save the system. In the end, ten years later, yes, we did survive. Yes, it, you know, it was lessons for everybody, but in the end, patience. And it's hard to say patience because, look, I was one of those people at the time when it was happening that got really emotional because, you know, me, I'm you all got emotional. It's hard to believe <laughs> you and that, you know, really? I ended up I ended up huh. getting very emotional. And, and, you know, to your point, made some decisions which in, in retrospect were bad decisions. But and this is why you should point. call and talk to me more, Polkari, really. <laughs> I mean, because, uh, but, you know, uh, the yin to the yang, I could keep you calm and probably made you a little you money. And I, you and I weren't this close 10 years ago. No, and you but, know, my uh, life is so much other... better now that you're in it more, really. <laughs> I, 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 it was lessons learned, but you know what? It was a lesson that a lot of people had to learn. And myself but I'm here for you I... now. You know, you don't have to go it alone and lose that money anymore. Hey, Kenny Polkari, you're wonderful to be with us on the Farcast. We're going to be back next week. Ladies and gentlemen, we're going to be back in just a minute. Kenny, thanks. You are the best. I always learn when talk I get to. to talk to you. All right, pal. Ladies and gentlemen, please stay with us. We come back with Dan Mahaffey and then Tom Heath. We're having a great Farcast. Stay right with us. I'm Michael Farr. Now more with Michael Farr and the Farcast. Fabulous music. It's just fabulous music. We're going to come out with all of those tunes for our year-end edition. Best of KTEL from the Farcast tunes. Welcome back to the Farcast. I am Michael Farr. We're going to, with great section with uh, Kenny Polkari. Always interesting to talk to him and his perspective from the floor of the stock exchange and what he saw 10 years ago and what he's expecting from the ends of the year, for the end of the year. Ladies and gentlemen, he's been pretty good. He's been right on. I don't always agree with him, but I, I can never not listen to Kenny. He's just been doing this too long. Um, so now our senior political analyst, the great Dan Mahaffey, joins us again from the Center for the Study of the Presidency and Congress, where he is the senior policy analyst. Is that what you are? Senior Vice President and Director of Policy. Dear God, that sounds important. Well, that and <laughs> we really we does. do nothing pithily. Long names, long titles. It's all think tank. But it sounds acronyms. like one of those things that your mother might have written. Really, you know, for your resume, it just sounds so good. Yes, you know, the, she's very proud to see that. I every bet she every is. time I send her my resume to proofread, and she, does uh, she add to it? Is it longer? Because when, when I would send my mother my resume, it would be longer when I got it back. It would usually say, "Oh, usually and longer." The son of and Joyce going, Farr, yeah. you know, and he was this great in high school and yes, everything like that. Yes, yeah. yes, when when learned to crawl at a precocious age. Um, so Dan, we have. Uh, 
anonymous letters, uh, which I'm on the record as saying and uh, denying. I did not write the, the anonymous. We have fear by Bob Woodward. We have Hurricane Florence heading for Florence, ironically. A uh, little self-loathing there, even in the world of weather. And the new Apple products are out today. And uh, we've got a surging economy, says Bloomberg News. And yet, this is, I think Bloomberg News said today that this is the best economy that any president has had with this low in approval rating. Yeah, the greatest divergence between economic performance and approval rating that they've had going back to uh, back to Reagan. So as the kids say, what up with that? Well, I think... <laughs> Well, I, you know, I, I'm glad you're, still you're, say that, you're really up with the, I think the, oh, up with the lingo, sir. I um, really am hip. You're so hip. hip. Um, Do they no, still I say hip? Hip hip still works. Oh, good. Fly. You know, all kinds of things. Good. Um, no, I think what we've seen here is, and as you mentioned, the, the hurricane and the Apple products, if you kind of take aside the the Woodward book and the, uh, the anonymous op-ed in the New York Times, those are off to the side. But if you look at the hurricane, uh, people talking about the new Apple gizmos they're going to be able to buy right. in a few weeks. Right. It almost seems. I like looked at those. I didn't see anything I cared to buy. Was there anything on there that looked any better? I mean, well, I've I got an iPhone. I don't want to say anything about uh, your friends or the age of folks, but apparently the new Apple Watch will call 911 if you fall over. Really? Yeah, that's the new. So to my younger. Harry, can you get me one, please? To my yeah, younger we're, friends. We're working on that. Maybe boss. one for my ankle, too, <laughs> yeah. just in case I lose the one of my. So, yeah, for my younger friends who are, you know, still in college and going out drinking every night, that might be an issue. And then for our older <laughs> friends, it's. Uh, no, but these are all. Uh, these are, in a sense, it almost seemed like a, a, a pre 2016 news cycle when you're just seeing that politics is is off the front page for a little while. And I think Do we have to go back to pre-2016 to get politics off the front page? I think to a certain extent. The way we're getting a constant diet of tweets, news alerts, statements, anonymous leaks. When you say politics, do you mean President Trump off the front page? Well, I think that's mainly it. And I think that's people what are, you're saying. Are, are people are this the circus um, uh, around this and the, the stories we keep seeing. Uh, are driving the fatigue. I've, you know, I've started to read the Woodward book. What do you book. mean fatigue? Tell me, you, you, what do you mean fatigue? Well, there's not, the Woodward book is interesting, and I'll use that as an example. The fatigue is, there's not really anything new that we're learning about the president's personality, his decision-making, uh, the infighting in the administration. Uh, the story, as much as it's uh, unprecedented in the annals of presidential history, uh, the, there's no new leads there. Uh, and what we're seeing, okay, he's he's tough on trade. He doesn't like the congressional Republicans. Uh, he's there's they the don't infighting. Like him. Yeah, there's the infighting between Jarvanka, the globalists, the nationalists, uh, red hats, blue hats, green hats. Uh, no one's getting along. Not much is getting done. Uh, and I think for the public, you have this sense of okay, we sent him there by a very narrow. Uh, electoral college majority to shake the system up. We're tired of the status quo. Right. Drain uh, the swamp. Drain the swamp. Drain the swamp. But President putting, Trump's going to, Donald Trump's going to drain the swamp. Putting a circus tent over the swamp does not answer the needs of those voters who put him <laughs> into the White House. Putting a circus tent. Well, <laughs> yeah. Um, and to a certain extent, you're even seeing the pushback. We see his support in the Midwest, uh, Trump country, ag country. The tariffs are starting to bite there. Uh, no Republican congressman is really able to tout the tax plan like they hoped they would. 
the economic numbers are great, but that's just completely uh, distracting us from, uh, in a way that uh, we want to look at the uh, the Trump record it's and a, a lot of the tax plan and, and, that and the all of the uh, all of the ways that the tweets, the self-inflicted scandals overshadow the success. Okay, so let me. I'm going to boil this down because you're talking about a whole lot of things here. And, and I can hear, you know, our, our, our listeners who are devoted to the president saying, what's, what, what's that young man saying about my, my man Donald Trump? I mean, you, you, you're saying that the economy, you're recognizing that the economy is very strong. Correct. And the economic data are strong and robust. Strongest we've seen. And we have wage gains, and the Fed is tightening into that strength. And normally... When any party, whoever the president is, when you have strong economic data, is claiming every bit of high ground they can, saying, look at me, we've got a good economy. Not that one ever has anything to do with the other. I mean, it's like, look at me, it's a sunny day. But there's a good economy, and that typically gets them reelected, right? They can Precisely, and it helps their party. My friend James Carville said it was the economy, stupid. Exactly. Yes. And that exact, but apparently uh, it's not stupid. Well, and then it's it's overshadowed stupid, where we where we say okay, unemployment's at three point nine percent. Yes. And the story there would be we need more workers. Yes. In a in a we normal do. economic we need cycle, more and we need we more do. workers. But that is overshadowed by the fact that those people trying to come into the country are being separated from their families. The shortages of visas, the breakdowns in the administration, and that's just taking one slice of these stories where, because of the way the Trump administration chose to pursue policies, the economic story uh, is getting overshadowed. What, so it's getting overshadowed by? By unforced errors, by the desire to uh, appeal to certain elements of his base who yell the loudest at the rallies, uh, a range of factors where a good segment of, I'd say, the voting public who said, look, we're gonna watch this man Hopefully, you know, we know he's not, the leopard's not going to change his spots, but maybe he matures a bit into the office. So yeah. are you saying that with a better media plan and better messaging, uh, the Republicans would be in a much stronger position coming into these November elections, as would the president's approval ratings, all based on how he's managing or the the White House is managing the message or the president's mas- managing his message? Well, I think so. But then we just come up with the, the fundamental fact of Trump physics is that no one can manage that message. And that's and, the conundrum. Uh, so uh, the pre- this is an unmanageable president. If you read the, the Woodward book and what you see from the anonymous op-ed and what you get the sense of how uh, you know, tweets flying out at 6 a.m. or at the odd hours. That the And he sees that as a fundamental part of his connection to the voter. But to a certain extent, voters, when you, you have the, uh, as you say, Fred and Ethel, and you stop in the, uh, the deli in Peoria, Illinois, and they say, well, you know what, I'm really glad the president's doing this, but I really just wish he would stop tweeting or stop yes. the name calling. I do hear that all over the place. I was, I was in Montana, as I just said, and people there said, well, I like the president, but I wish he'd stop tweeting. And, and and that I mean that's people who like him want him to Correct. stop. And that's that broader, uh, that broader push. Some of these policies, the way they're implemented, it alienates suburban moms. It alienates people with college degrees. And now, if the agricultural and rural base is starting to feel the pain of the tariff policies, Center for the Study of the Presidency in Congress, 
uh, is a nonpartisan Correct. group, right? You you guys aren't conservatives or liberals, or you don't really have any agenda other than the good of government. Correct. Correct? Yes. And 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 David Abshire, Doctor David Abshire, Ambassador David Abshire, who was the founder of the Center for the Study, also looked for civility in Correct. politics. Yes. Um, and I think, you know, he was such a wise man. He was such a charming man. He was a great friend of mine over the years and a great friend to me over the years. Uh, I think he's proving even wiser uh, posthumously in his message and demand for civility in politics. Well, that was the, the point that, that politics and the incivility in it had reached such a low point. Um, and I think too many people right now who talk about civility or the tenor of our politics uh, see President Trump as the cause when he's much more the symptom of this, the incentives in our politics, yeah, and that's the, a good point. the state that they've gotten to. Um, and that, in a sense, when they looked at politicians, they said, okay, they're a bunch of squabbling children, but I've seen that man on The Apprentice. He's a successful real estate executive. He knows how to get, he can these, get this done. these egos together and get this done. Um, and the swamp, as I said, even with the circus tent over it, the, uh, you have the simple fact that the Republican Party is hardly able to agree on whether or not the sky is blue in their own caucus right now. So the swamp is still the swamp. The swamp is still Nobody the swamp. Nobody likes anybody. The, the Democrats themselves, the, the fact that they can simply oppose Trump has overshadowed that they don't really know where they want to go with their own agenda. Um, I admire Steny Hoyer as someone who's a, a leader, and he came out with the uh, plan to reform some of the rules in the House and ethics and he's civility. He's a very nice and, man. And Steny is a very nice man. And he's a great man, a great leader. We, honored, uh, we were honored to honor him last year as one of our uh, bipartisan leaders. Um, and he's shown that kind of behavior, but it's still not going to get the voters inspired when you say, oh, we're changing the ethics rules in the House. They're not going to see that as uh, Congress cares. really— it's, no. you know, it's. Turkey's voting to delay Thanksgiving by a week. Yeah, I like that, Turkey's voting <laughs> to delay. Uh, that's very good. Okay, uh, now I've got less than 30 seconds. Tell me how the uh, seats change in the House and in the Senate uh, by the second week in November. What are we going to see? Well, the generic ballot's now getting to the point. Democrats up by 14 to 15 percent on average. That's wave territory. It's slowly moving that way. Um, so I think you're going you're to You're talking see about the blue wave. The blue wave. The blue wave We're going to see coming. the blue wave here coming. A majority. And that's going to be a, a Democratic majority in the House. And Big. that's getting to, I'm thinking, 15 to 20 seat type okay. of a majority. Senate? Senate's on the knife edge, and it's going to be interesting because McConnell is keeping the Senate in session through October. That makes it a lot harder for some of these red state to Democrats to go back to campaign. Yep. But most importantly, Ted Cruz is going to find it harder to go back to his now- close election does in Ted, Texas. Does Ted Cruz win? Does he stay in? I think What's he stays call? in by a by a knife's edge. Like, How about Kavanaugh? Kavanaugh gets through. The numbers are there. That when? whole hearing. When? I think they're going to get it through late September. They're going to get the vote through. You're going to even have some of the red state Democrats probably come on board. But that whole hearing was not about his jurisprudence or his background. It was all positioning for this election in 2020. Was Were these two Supreme Court nominations, will they be the greatest part of President Trump's legacy? Well, I think that will be the, let's say, the courts writ large. I'm not just going to say the Supreme Court. The way he's reshaped the circuit and appeals courts as well. Uh, for Republicans, uh, to quote uh, some of the never-Trump people, the Faustian bargain paid off. 
when they uh, supported Trump in favor of these judicial nominations. Will President Trump have another opportunity to appoint a Supreme Court justice? Well, I hope it—I uh, I don't see any of the liberal justices uh, retiring at this point because of the uh, the pressure they would be under for the their replacement. The notorious— yeah, RBG. The notorious RBG. She's so going to hang in there. We, she will stay in there, and I hope uh, you know that we wish all the Supreme Court justices their good health. Yes, um, indeed. So that I, I see a, another nomination as being very doubtful. The great Dan Mahaffey, the best senior political analyst we've ever had on the Farcast. Thank you so much. We're going to talk again next week with Dan. Figure out, I mean, you, you can't make this stuff up, so you've just got to tune in again next week. When we come back. Uh, we have the great Tom Heath from the Great Washington Post, a great friend of mine. Please stay with us. We'll be right back on the Farcast. You're listening to Farcast. Now here's your host, Michael Farr. And the fabulous music must mean that we're back on the Farcast. Uh, we just had our first thunder, a little thunder shower here in Washington, and it's clearing off just as quickly as it came in. We've been seeing that in the markets, little moments of thunder, and then it seems to clear off. Nobody takes it very seriously. People in the Carolinas, we are saying our prayers for you and even Georgia now as uh, we, we have Hurricane Florence actually heading for Florence. A uh, bit of irony there. Uh, but it uh, looks like a serious storm, so please be careful and be cautious there. Interestingly, of course, these hurricanes tend to be okay for the economy, by the way. You've got a lot of spending, a lot of construction, um, and not good uh, for the folks there, but, but, but okay for, uh, uh, for economic growth. The Dow and S&P and markets have gone about sideways. Uh, Kenny Polkari and I talked about that. He thinks they will sort of melt up a little bit further by the end of the year. Good section with, session with Kenny. Uh, Dan Mahaffey uh, says that, uh, you know, not only has the swamp not been drained, nobody's particularly distracted by just putting a circus tent over the swamp. Now, ladies and gentlemen, please don't write or call. That was Mahaffey. Uh, <laughs> you, can, you can call us, and I'll give you his email and cell phone and all of that. But, but, but I didn't say it. Mahaffey said it. I just quote Mahaffey. So we've had a lot going on uh, these 10 years. So uh, my friend Tom Heath uh, has, uh, is, a, is the uh, investment uh, columnist, uh, personal finance columnist at the Washington Post. He's the guy who has to explain all of what's going on in the markets uh, to investors, to Fred and Ethel, and help us along the way. He is a fabulous writer. We've been friends for uh, years. And uh, Tom's been at the Washington Post, oh, Lord, um, just for ages and ages. Ever and, and ever. Thank <laughs> you. I know. Every time, Mike. But um, <laughs> He's He is a senior reporter. Too. at the <laughs> Talking to you. <laughs> Breathing in and out. Still can fog a mirror, my friend Tom. Hey, welcome back to the... Welcome back See, my to old, old friend, old friend. There we go. Yeah. Uh, How are you, buddy? I'm great, man. How are you? You know what Mahaffey just told me? Mahaffey just told me that there's a feature on this new Apple Watch that uh, if you fall over, it will dial 911 for you. <laughs> are you saying I should buy one? I, I was one. just, you know, uh, stocking stuffers can be kind of tough to find at times. I think he's, you know, they were actually measuring my wrist as he was saying it. So. <laughs> Uh, some, a buddy of mine this week said, "Don't you know when you're going downstairs from now on, Tom? Make sure you hold on to the rail." Yeah, I mean, thanks I'm a lot. Yeah. Uh, and he says, "Don't jaywalk." 
Oh, perfect. Okay, thanks. Perfect. Well, thanks, I, buddy. Yeah, thanks. With my walker, I'll just throw the walker out in front of the traffic. Okay, uh, so, Tom, uh, we've had a lot this week. I just want to get your, your, your sense of your colleague, Bob Woodward, has just put out a pretty big deal book. How big a deal? Fear. Huh? Fear. Name, name is Fear. Fear. Uh, yep. I, I actually bought it today. I, 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 I bought it on my Kindle. Um, what do you think about it? What do you think about the impact of this book? How much of it seems groundbreaking to you? And what does it mean to markets? Markets or mark us? <laughs> How about Marquettes? Uh, markets used to be our editor. Uh, what does it mean to markets? Well, so far, markets pretty much have ignored everything. I mean, they got used to the tweets. They got used to outbursts. They got used to trade threats. Um, That's what Mahaffey was I, saying. Yeah, yeah they, they, you know, I don't know how they're going to react to the politics in November. I don't think the book moves markets much. They had a great August, although I don't think it came out in August. I know Woodward a little bit. He interviewed me when I came here. I haven't seen him since. But he, <laughs> he's a great reporter. I have the utmost respect for him. And I'm sure it's, you know, the book is fabulous and well-reported because you know, my, my Bob Dan, is a pro. Uh, so, uh, um, Tom, Dan Mahaffey was saying that it, that – not, I mean, it's his kind of view. Uh, to to paraphrase Dan, that you know, it, it's it's um, it's not that markets aren't reacting. Uh, that's part of it, but it's that everybody seems to be a little sick of listening to all of this noise politically. Whether it's the venom on Capitol Hill, whether it's the red wave or the blue wave or the anonymous letter or whatever it is, or the latest tweet. Or a series of tweets. Did you? I don't. I don't know if you know. See these things. But about six thirty every morning, I get about four. I see about four tweets from the president right in a row, around six thirty every morning. And I just and I, I kind of close one eye and squint with the other and read them, you know, carefully and tenderly, thinking, Oh God, what did he say now? You know. And I'm relieved when it's not too bad. Are we? Are we kind of getting just? tired as a group of politics and maybe that's why not the markets aren't reacting well yes i mean the politics politics are always there i mean this isn't the first time they may be a little crazier and a little more polarized right now but politics there's always a sideshow going on always yeah but as you as you've pointed out to me for my stories um the Markets are operating on the fundamentals of the economy. And what's not to like about this economy? It's, it's great. It is great. Everybody's employed. They can't even find, When's the last time you saw a, a, a story or a headline on the front page of the Washington Post, which was yesterday or the day before, not enough blue-collar workers, blue-collar workers are doing better? Everybody thought blue-collar workers were a dying species. Right. And they're doing better. The unemployment, they can't find enough workers for the jobs in the U.S., um, wages are starting to creep up. The stock market is going gangbusters and has been for nine years. What is not to like about this? Everything is going very well, and there's this, this and, political and noise on the side, and everybody's tuned that out. I mean, you know that. Markets yeah. run on fundamentals. Our earnings good. Earnings are great. Earnings are They're great. great, and, and this, the tax cut is still in effect. 
Um, so you're not worried about notes, markets, I mean, and you think we're going to? You're not worried about the markets at all through the end of the year. You think we're fine? Fred and Ethel no, can relax. Bounce, they'll bounce around. Just you know, no, they're not fine. They, they'll bounce around. They'll probably end up like uh, Pocari said, and, and up five uh, percent. People, you can turn on the um, TV any time of the day on any of the economic shows and any of the financial shows. It's time to say we're in the seventh inning, we're in the final third, we're in the toward the end of the bull market. Right, right. And so, yeah, I guess we're getting close. And yes, it will crash someday. There will be a retreat. There will be a pullback, and because people are you know, human, and they do crazy stuff and they chase returns. But as you tweeted in the, the Buffett tweet today, that Buffett says, you know, people will act irrationally because they always do. But for now, I think, you know, the market's got, it's still got to go up. And if you can't take a pullback, you shouldn't really be in it. If it's going to drive you nuts and ruin your Christmas and, and, and ruin your retirement, you ought to think of Get out you know, of it and okay, do so else ten, with your money. So 10 years ago, and I'm going to be on CNBC a couple of times next week talking about this 10-year anniversary because, of course, I was there because I'm old, too. <laughs> uh, but, you know, one of the things they had me do 10 years ago was they had me go on the Today Show right after Jim Cramer went on and said, everybody who has anything, any money in the market should sell everything you're going to need for the next five years. And, and, and it got to be a very sticky moment for Jim uh, as an employee of NBC Universal. Uh, the lawyers were very interested because that was, uh, that was a dicey moment for the Today Show audience. And so they said, okay, Far, you're on the next day with Kramer, and you got to pour some oil on that water. And I thought, oh, boy, lucky me. So you uh, had to go fix it. You had to do damage yes, control. Yes, today. yes, you know, Jim's comments are his personal comments. <laughs> on the, blah, 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 blah. Uh, well, and I, I had to do it better than that because Jim's a star and I'm a nobody. I was the easiest guy to get rid of. I mean, who couldn't figure that out? I mean, you know, I was the one who was going to end up under the bus. So I went on and I said, you know, ladies and gentlemen, I, you know, uh, I, I, I put on my Jimmy Carter smile. You know, I said, ladies and gentlemen, uh, what I think Jim meant was... Uh, you know, but basically what any CPA or financial planner or investment person would tell you, if you have near-term liquid needs for your cash, don't have it tied up in long-term investments. If you need the cash in five years, don't have it tied up in long-term stuff because long-term stuff is volatile. You can't get to the cash. It could go down a lot. So that kind of— Correctamundo, Mikey. Does that work? You, you agree? Yes. It's the magic word, horizon. Which are, well, the two words are time horizon. I get this every day. If you need something in five years, you got to be in very short-term stuff like bonds or short-term corporate, right. investment grade, cash. you got to keep some in the market. Larry Fink will tell you you should keep all your money in the market at all times, Larry Fink of BlackRock. Right, right. Because you never know when it's going to go up. You never know when it's going to go down. But, but uh, you got to be in it for the gains because they only happen a few days a year, the big gains. But, yeah, you should you should not – you should have enough money to live on. If you got five years and you're my age, sixty-two, you got to be. God. I'm in the market, but I, you know, I'm keeping stuff for the short term, which I've discussed with you in the past. Do you still buy green and, bananas? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, but uh, that is a low blow, my friend. Dear God, sixty-two years old. Green <laughs> bananas. <laughs> Uh, yes, I do. I buy green bananas. I love green bananas. I eat a banana every morning for my ticker. My heart. My I, ticker. Uh, I, I, you know, this is too much personal information, frankly. Uh, so uh, as we think back, I mean, I think this is kind of uh, actually, uh, let's go back to this 10-year thing. Think back 10 years, Tom, when you were at the tender age of 52. 
you saw people getting scared in the market. I mean, it was that was serious. We we were down below seven thousand on the Dow. This was no fooling. This was a first time in my career where I I, I did look at Laurie one morning and said, I, I got to tell you, I'm scared here. I, I, that was actually in uh, February or March of 2009 when I looked at her and said, now I'm actually getting scared. I don't know how low this thing's going to go, but this is this is getting to be a problem. So I had that emotional moment, which I warned people about. Yeah. Tell us about emotion. Tell us what you went through and tell us the lessons you learned for your for your readers and our listeners. So ten, I will tell you, the only, one of the few smart things I've done in my life, other than marrying my wife, was um, about 10 or 12 years ago when the market was doing pretty well, I thought, you know, I'm 50, and uh, I think I can weather one more down. I need one more downturn because when the, when the market goes down, I dividend reinvest, which means all my dividends go back automatically to buy more stock when they're issued. And I thought, you know, if I'm smart and we get another downturn, it lasts a couple of years, and I dividend reinvest, the upside is almost always greater, usually greater, it's almost always is. And so I stayed with it. And I didn't get too scared. I just I figured out, you know, one more downturn is good for me because that's going to be, mean I'm going to be able to buy a lot more stock and it's going to be cheaper. And so I can take that. Now I'm 62, 10 years later, I've written it up. I'm a little worried about the next downturn because, you know, I'm going to need the cash. So... I'm sitting a little bit on the edge of my seat. I mean, I'm nervous, but I don't pay too much attention. And But, but look, the, the 10 years, I just didn't get nervous about it because I think, you know, if it doesn't come back, you know, we got the zombies running around the street and i got to run for cover. So the markets will we'll have bigger problems if the market doesn't come back because that means dislocation, civil unrest, and much worse. And I just didn't think that was going to happen. I think, you know, we have, you know, in democracy, people vote and the wisdom rises. So and boil, we boil it down, it out, even though it's not pretty. Boil Why? it down and tell me what you want to tell the other sixty-year-olds who are out there on the edges of their seats, saying, "What should I really do, Tom?" Well, first of all, I would say they should make sure they're in close touch with their financial advisor and, and not taking Far not taking Miller advice and from Washington. Tom Heath. Far so hire a Michael ours. Farr and stay in close touch with them. You got to be, you know, you got to be in a balanced fund. You got to be in a balanced situation. Um, own some stocks, own uh, a, a lot of stocks, you know, 40, 50%, I would, but I'd also keep a lot of bonds and cash on hand um, and very conservative bonds, not 10-year treasuries. I would keep, you know, short-term investment grade and just stuff that, that you know, if you're not going to sleep at night, don't own it. Right, And if, right. if you, you got enough that makes you sleep and, and, and you're okay and you're not nervous, I mean, who wants to live that way? No, don't you own it. Right. But if you so. can, if you can if you're okay and you should know if you're okay anybody does uh, how they feel about it they should just uh, own whatever makes them whatever makes them comfortable. I would not be all in stocks if I were I am 62 and I am not all in stocks. I still own a lot. So I think people should be very you know very go very gingerly and be very smart and have a lot that they can get their hands on in a short period of time. And hopefully they pay off all their credit card debts and your mortgages and try to have zero debt on the other side. Gingerly, smart, debt-free, and liquid is, uh, is the advice from Tom Heath. Tom, you are the best for being with us again on the forecast. I always learn so much when you're on. I'm sorry you're not here because we can't have dinner uh, here at Chatter. 
uh, and I, we could have charged it at Kornheiser tonight too. I'll be Tom, back next time. Excellent. I'm sorry, I have. I'm in the. I'm in I the know you got to go talk to Ray Dalio. You've got important people to talk to. I got it. It's fabulous, <laughs> fabulous. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, thank you once again for joining us for another fabulous forecast. Uh, my friend Kenny Polcari from the floor of the New York Stock Exchange, the great Dan Mahaffey from Center of the Study of the Presidency and Congress, giving us his political analyst, and of course uh, my old friend. Tom Heath from the Washington Post. Ladies and gentlemen, if you think you heard any recommendation to buy or sell a security here on the forecast, you didn't. Please don't make any changes to your portfolio without first checking with uh, your financial advisor, CPA, some qualified expert. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. Again, it's a great privilege to come into your cars, into your earbuds, into your homes, and onto your desktops. We appreciate it very much. Please come back again next week. We'll be back with another fresh new forecast in Washington, D.C., with a heart full of thanks, I am Michael Farr. <laughs>